the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's always dangerous to give the guy that's leaving the, the last, uh, give the homily on the last day. <laughs> he didn't review it first either. He shows some faith. But <laughs> and I'll say off the bat, I, I do have a penchant for or the more fire and brimstone-y type sermons. Um, but part of that is because I always tend to preach on when I have the opportunity on what I often feel I most need to hear. So, so in this, you know, keep in mind I know I need this more than anybody. But in this gospel today, we have, we have these blind men that come to Jesus, and Jesus asks them the key question, do you believe that I am able to do this? Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they say, yes, Lord. And so he, he heals their blindness, and he says, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their eyes are opened. But the question, the question I have for all of us is, do we believe this? Do we believe this? <laughs> I would say on some level, it is easier for us to believe this, that 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ came and healed a blind man or a pair of blind men, than it is for us to actually believe on a day-to-day -day basis in the core of the Christian faith. That, the, that our belief in Jesus Christ actually has the ability to transform us. And so what I'm trying to emphasize by this is our faith is not, it really is not about finding the magic path that leads to heaven and avoids hell. And it's really, really hard for us to get that out of our heads because there are centuries and centuries and centuries of that being what we've talked about Christianity like. And it's not about knowing the right words to say or being in the right club and having the right secret handshake. And if you're not grasping what I'm getting at yet, we Orthodox run the biggest risk of being those who feel like we're, we've got the club, we've got the thing, we've got all the right little things we do and cross ourselves the right way and we have all the stuff. Okay? But it's way easier to be a member of a club than it is to first believe that blindness was healed long ago, but it's even harder to believe in this core of our faith, again, that I'm talking about. So to make that contrast, I'm going to start off with something real, real negative and scary. So I've got some terrible news for all of us. Frightening news for all of us. Okay? You want to know what the worst possible thing you can be in this world is? It's not to be a member of some other religion that's not Christianity. It's not to be a Buddhist or a Muslim or a Jew or a member of whatever religion. It's not even the worst thing to be the militant atheist. The worst thing you can be is a lukewarm Christian. The worst thing you can be is a lukewarm Orthodox Christian. In another place, in the Gospel of Luke, and I used to use this with my high school students all the time, because it was one of, you know, there's lots of passages we like to quote and we memorize and we teach, 
each other, and we don't. We internalize a lot of them, and they're the very positive, cuddly, uh, <laughs> encouraging passages. And there's other ones we don't, we don't, we don't read so much. And, um, and I used to use this one with my high school students, and every single time I'd get the same reaction. I've never read this passage before. Out of people that swore they had read the whole Bible before. So let me, let me read it to you. This is Jesus talking about the lazy, his lazy servant. The lazy servant. That's right, Pablo. Um, it says, suppose the servant says to himself, you know, my master is taking a long time coming. And he begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. Unless we get too legalistic here all of a sudden. The beating of the other servants and the getting drunk are metaphors for being a lousy follower. Not like, oh, yeah, I don't beat people up and I don't get drunk, so therefore this doesn't apply to me. Being the lazy servant. It says, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and in an hour he is not aware and he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> not only do you end up with the unbelievers, but you're cut in pieces. I don't know what that means, but I do not want to find out. <laughs> and, and so even more orthodox. We have plenty of books, and we talk about how we have the fullness of the faith. The fullness of the faith. And what that means, when Jesus goes on a little bit further from the same passage in Luke, Luke 12 I just quoted, it says, From everyone to whom much has been given, much more will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. The more you have, the more it is required from you. And it is scary, on some level it should be. And it's not just this passage in Luke. Nearly every single part of the New Testament, every single book of the New Testament, will have some reinforcement of this same idea. The worst thing we can be is lukewarm Christians and lukewarm Orthodox Christians. And sometimes we feel like, you know, when I was referring earlier to the secret handshake and saying all the right words and all these sorts of things, that we feel like if we do all the orthodox stuff, that that's what gets us there. That the regular church attendance and regular confession and regular reception of the Eucharist and all of these things are important. Following the Dormition fast to the letter. Okay, that these are the things that make us members of the club and that make it all like it's taken care of automatically. And if we think that way, we have to think again. Because first of all, regular church attendance and regular Eucharist reception in the Orthodox world is a very recent thing. A lot of people don't know that it used to be quite common to go four times a year to communion. Okay. Sounds pretty horrible, right? Like, like oh, Orthodoxy had just fallen into total non-spirituality. And that's how I felt, and that's what I thought. And at a professor elderly professor that could remember those days back before this had become a, 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 a weekly phenomenon. And you know what he said? He said, those four times a year, you know what would happen? 
my father would fast from all food for three days before he'd go to liturgy. And he'd pray. We'd see him praying. And he'd get down on his knees, weeping in front of each one of us, my mother, for me and my brothers and sisters, and begging his forgiveness for what he had done to us during the time since he had received communion last. And this professor said, with tears in his eyes, I long for those days to come back again. Now, do I think that that's the answer? No. But the point is, really, his father was living a true and reflective and thoughtful and profound Christian life. And it can take many different forms. That's one of the beauties of orthodoxy. Is there's not one magic formula that fits everybody. And I want to be really, really, really clear on what I'm saying. Because the harshness of this can sound like it's back to this, like, well, now what I'm saying is it's really hard to get to heaven and stay away. No, back, go back to what I was saying at the beginning. It's not about that. You've got to stop making that the issue. What I'm trying to say here is that if we believe, if we believe like the blind men in this gospel, our faith teaches us that salvation is not about primarily where we're going to go when we die, but is about being transformed in the image and likeness of God himself. It's what we call deification or theosis a lot of times in the church in fancy words, but it just means to be like God, to and when people look at us, they see God. It means that we are supposed to become her. And so that's why my question is, do we really believe that? Do we really believe that we can become her? The person who one of my favorite poets said, she was just a woman, she was merely a woman, yet whose presence and power is greater than no goddesses, was deemed or dreamed, who has one work to do in life, to let all God's glory through. This is what we are called to if we believe. If we can only adopt in every minute her attitude, that attitude of let it be to me according to your word. God, whatever you want, whatever you have for me, do that with me. Right? She says that, and what happens? Christ is formed in her. Okay? The Apostle Paul tells us in Galatians, that's the same thing that's supposed to be happening to us. If you take on that same attitude, you become another Mary whom Christ is formed in and dwells in. Do we really believe that? Is that really what our goal is? That's the question. And so the thing is, this isn't, this isn't like something to just be terrified. Oh, no. Deacon Rico just made me really worried I'm going to go to hell after all. It's to re reorient our minds to a real belief that each and every moment we can already dwell in and be filled up with heaven, to be filled up with Christ, to become vessels of divine peace, divine joy, divine patience, divine kindness, divine goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And most of all, divine love. And we can live this way in every moment. 
it's the hardest for me when I'm driving my car, frankly. <laughs> or waiting in line at some store where the clerk seems incompetent. And even there, it's our duty to be the presence of God. And if that's your goal in life, no one can stop you. No one can take that from you. No one can make you frustrated and angry and dissatisfied with life. It's not a soul-crushing law. It is not the way to get to heaven. It is the way to live a life full of heaven here and now. It isn't how we get salvation. It is salvation itself. So may God grant us all this grace through our faith. In the name of our Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.